Welcome back, everyone, to the Rock and Ramp podcast. You're here with your host, Andrea. And Victoria. Today, we are talking about Billy Squire. Lonely is the night when there's no one left to call. <laughs> That's the best it's going to Billy Squire is an American rock musician whose career peaked from 1981 to 1984, which is a very small window, but we'll discuss what happened to him. During this time, he was like super successful. He had five top 10 hits with two of those reaching the number one spot. So I thought I only knew like one of his songs, The Stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, that's mm-hmm. the only one that came to mind. And then like, as I was listening to the albums, I was like, oh, I know this. I had no idea this was Billy Squire. And so I had like, mm-hmm. I kept having moments like that. And then I was like, oh man, these are so good. And I kept having the songs like stuck in my head. So I've just been like playing them on repeat. So mm-hmm. understand why he was so successful in that, that short little time frame. Mm-hmm. But Okay, so going back, he started playing piano and guitar at age nine, which I feel like all of these guys started playing mm-hmm. at a really early age, guitar and or piano. So he yeah. he was both. Um, I believe he actually started playing piano because his grandpa taught him to play. There's something about like his grandpa like bribed him to play. But he started playing at age nine. And it wasn't until he discovered John Mayall and the Blues Breakers that he really got interested in playing music as, like, a career. He was really inspired by Eric Clapton, who was in the John Mayall band at that time and were performing with them. And so Billy Squire, at the age of 14, formed his first band called the Reltneys. It's like R-E-L-T-N-E-Y-S, Reltneys. Um, that was his very first band when he was 14. And in the early 70s, he was in a variety of bands, playing here and there, nothing really taking off. He did attend the Berklee College of Music for a short time, and he aspired to become a teacher. But around 1975, the band that he was in at the time called Piper, they ended up being managed by the same company as Kiss, And so they opened for KISS during their 1977 tour. And that, again, I feel like a lot of these bands that we've talked about so far have opened for KISS. Yeah. He knows how to find them. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I don't think that Gene Simmons actually found Piper, but they were just managed by the same company um, at that time. So that's why they opened for them. But... Um, yeah, I'm going to be really, I I definitely want to cover Kiss and maybe that's one of the ones we'll do coming up here. Maybe that'll be my next one because everything kind of like all roads lead back to Kiss somehow, (laughs) I feel like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was the 1977 tour that they opened for Kiss and during their time together, Piper released two albums, uh, one self-titled, which was their debut album called Piper and their second album was Can't Wait. And it was like a magazine uh, article that had reviewed the debut album. They said that they had the greatest debut album ever produced by a U.S. rock band. Um, So I thought that was pretty interesting since I'd never heard of the band Piper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And despite their early success, Piper disbanded. And that's when Billy Squire signed on a solo deal with Capitol Records. And this is where... The Billy Squire we know comes into play. Right. So uh, 1980, 
he releases The Tale of the Tape. And this is his debut album as a solo artist. Let me also mention that as a solo artist, he released nine studio albums within a span of eight years. So he's another one that was like pumping them out. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, he started with The Tale of the Tape, released in 1980, and the only one that um, was really not, I don't want to say like worth mentioning, because they were all pretty good, but The Big Beat, we will discuss that a little bit uh, further on, but that was their his biggest hit on this 1980 uh, debut album. Um, so we'll talk about The Big Beat in, in a little bit, but I just wanted to note that that was on his debut album, 1980. His second album is the one that I was more familiar with the songs, and those are the ones that I was like, oh, yeah, I know that. Oh, yeah, I know this one, too. And I know this one. Had no idea this was all Billy Squire, but now I'm, like, feeling dumb that I didn't know. So, second album was released in 1981 called Don't Say No, and this was his most commercially successful album. And this is the one that had The Stroke, it had In the Dark, Mm -hmm. My Kind of Lover, and Lonely as the Night. Which Lonely as the Night is the song that we did uh, in the beginning. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, we, we couldn't sing any of the other ones. Uh, so, I don't think and, I could sing that one either. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we couldn't sing really any of them. And when we didn't want to be like, stroke, stroke. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which, that's a funny story. Too. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Um, so do you want to just go ahead with that? <laughs> Oh, yeah, so that uh, band that I've talked about on probably several episodes now, the cover band, uh, Skyrocket. So every time I go, (laughs) I'm drinking and having a good old time. And I had already mentioned to Andrea, I was like, you have to hear them and da-da-da. She had been, like, harassing me. And rightfully so, because when I did see them, they were awesome. But she had been, like, harassing me for, like, a good two years like you have to see them you have to see them they're so good and like sending me like pictures and just like all this stuff on them like every time you went to see them but this was my favorite video (laughs) yeah so I'm a few drinks in and there's several songs in and they started playing the stroke and I was into it I was having a good time so I took a video of them and it's just them (laughs) singing stroke me stroke me and then stroke yeah stroke and that's the only part i sent to her and i get this yeah yeah i get this video at like it had to have been like twelve thirty, so like past midnight and i'm watching it it's just like a blurred like bunch of hands <laughs> in the air and like all over the place and all i hear is stroke stroke and I'm like, what? And I know what song it is, but I was like, what the fuck? Why would you send me <laughs> Yeah, this I didn't part send her any other context, I don't think. I think I just sent the video of that sound. And so I guess it's not that funny of a story, but it's a little bit funny. <laughs> it's just a smidge funny. So, yeah, um, The Stroke, In the Dark, which I recognized In the Dark, and now it's like one of my higher up Billy Squire songs because I like the the mm. he's kind of does like a falsetto where he's like I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> I saw, no, I, I saw hear your it. face. You were bracing for it, like oh, do it. But I was not bracing. No, no, I'm not doing it. But I was I like waiting the, in anticipation. Do, 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 do. I I do don't it. even I don't know the words. I don't know the words, so Damn I can't life. do it. But yeah. <laughs> so I really like that part of it. Um, 
And then My Kind of Lover, Lonely is the Night is probably my favorite Billy Squire song because that's the one that gets stuck in my head mostly. And I'll, it's always like the red light, green light. Yeah, that's a good buildup right there. Yeah, that's my favorite part uh, of that song. And that's what gets, like, plays in my head over and over and over. And then also, like, lonely, lonely, lonely. And mm. all that is just really good. So that was on the 1981 Don't Say No album. 1982, he releases Emotions in Motion. And this is the one with the really cool album cover, um, kind of like David Bowie-esque. Let me pull it up. Or you can pull it up, mm-hmm. too, because mm-hmm. you you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. This one is the album art that I always think of when I think of Billy Squire, is the Emotions mm-hmm. in Motions, which is funny because, really, um, it only has two songs that uh, I knew, which was Emotions in Motion and then Everybody Wants You. And Everybody Wants You was... Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, that was his first number one album on mainstream rock charts. So he's really, like, hitting a stride here. And Mm -hmm. so much so that the supporting tour for Emotions in Motion involved him opening for Queen, which I didn't know this, but he was friends with Freddie Mercury, which is super cool. cool. (laughs) Like, who wouldn't want to be friends with Freddie Mercury? Yeah. Um, and so he, he was friends with Freddie Mercury, so he opened for Queen during this tour, and then he became the headlining act of his own tour, and Def Leppard opened for him. And so he kind of helped them kind of break their way into the American market, I guess, because uh, mm-hmm. they were new on the scene, and they were promoting Pyromania at the time when they mm-hmm. toured with him and opened for him. So that would have been a great show, honestly. <laughs> Um, so 1984 is where things got real twisted for, uh, Billy Squire, unfortunately for him or so, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. So 1984, he releases Science of Life. And so the two songs on there were Rock Me Tonight and All Night Long. So Rock Me Tonight, and we will dive deeper into this. (laughs) Yeah. Take me and you. I didn't know I. I recognize the music video too. Yeah. I would not have thought I knew this music video. Roll me through the night. Wow. Yep. yep, 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 yep. We will talk about all that in just a minute. So, okay. <laughs> Signs of Life, 1984, Rock Me Tonight, All Night Long, Rock Me Tonight. You just mentioned the music video. That was voted. <laughs> by kind of unanimously to be the worst music video <laughs> like ever of all time anything that I've ever played on MTV and That's Billy Squire yeah well Billy Squire um I almost said attribute it <laughs> can't say attribute <laughs> Billy Squire believes that this was the beginning of the end of his career uh was that video because it was so bad Yeah, it's not great. (laughs) It's really not. No. So after the fourth album, even though the fourth album went platinum, he had been selling like triple platinum. Like his albums had been going like triple platinum. I think he had like three consecutive triple platinum albums or something. Um, So even though this one went platinum, he stopped selling out shows. He he was known as a perfectionist and like really kind of fickle to work with um, or like really particular. And Mm -hmm. so he... After this happened, he fired his managers, 
And he accused the director of that video, Kenny Ortega, of misleading him Whoa. about the video. And Yeah. Do you know Kenny Ortega? Yeah. Because of High School Musical? Well, and Michael Jackson. Didn't he produce the... Is it, oh, did the most re- The one... I don't remember if it was right when Michael Jackson passed away or mm. before. But... Um, and I think he did a music video. T- this is it. Yeah. Oh, this he is it. That. 2009. Yeah. That's how oh. I remembered him. I know now he did um, High School Musical too, but yeah, or also. But I mean, like I remember his name because of Michael Jackson's um, eh. film. Okay, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. Well, he he also worked with Billy Squire on Rock Me Tonight. Um, <laughs> not his best work. <laughs> um, so Billy Squire, he blamed him for ending his career, basically. He believed that yeah. Kenny Ortega misled him about the video and how it was going to play out and, like, what it was going to look like because Qu- Kenny Ortega apparently, like, choreographed the whole thing, too. And, um, yeah, he choreographed it and, and directed it. And he wasn't even, like, the original director choice. He was, like, really far down the line. Um, but they... And we'll talk about that in a minute, too. But he was not their number one choice. Um, so the original concept of the the music video was from Billy Squire and the original concept was supposed to be about like getting ready for a concert and like going through the motions of like checking your hair and like getting dressed Mm. and checking your clothes and like, you know, getting ready before you sneak out to go see the concert. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was like, I guess the underlying theme I don't know where that plays out in the music video. (laughs) I don't really get that. Um, So he took the idea to a few different directors that he wanted to work with, but he wasn't able to secure anyone. And they had like a deadline approaching because that was a single and MTV needed a music video to release. And then Kenny Ortega, who was like a friend of his girlfriend at the time, reached out to him and was like, hey, I'll do, I'll work with you or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. he was on board with it and his um manager his producers whoever they were like appalled they were like no 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 no, we can't do this but they didn't really have a whole lot of Mm. time because they i guess they hadn't like vetted him or something i don't know uh this video shows billy squire basically like dancing and prancing around (laughs) his bed and like prancing in every sense of the man. I was gonna say prancing is the perfect word for that because I just yeah. rewatched the part where he's like all elbows and wrists, like. Ee! Yeah. <laughs> That's so, a it's so, game. yeah, and and the bed is like a satin sheet bed, and like it's pastel colors. It's not super rock and roll, and it really doesn't fit the song at all, in my opinion. No, it looks like they had $100 in a dream and just couldn't make it work. (laughs) Yeah, it's so bizarre. Um, (laughs) And so Billy Squire later said, and this is, quote, the video misrepresents who I am as an artist. I was a good-looking, sexy guy. That certainly didn't... (laughs) Yeah. That certainly didn't hurt in selling records. But in the video, I'm sort of a pretty boy, and I'm preening around a room. People said, he's gay, or he's on drugs. It was traumatizing to me. I mean, (laughs) I had nothing against the gays. I have a lot of gay friends. But like it or not, it was more of a sticky point then. End quote. (laughs) Okay. But... 
I feel like he didn't really defend himself there. <laughs> like that was terrible no. defense. If the video didn't do well, I don't think he helped it at all with that statement. No, well, and that was like years later that oh, he said okay. that. Yeah, that was years later. Um, but here's my take on it. Billy Squire was in this era of rock androgyny. Like, you had Kiss, Motley Crue, David Bowie, Queen, Rolling Stones. I mean, Billy Idol, Elton John. Really, there was, like, this endless supply of male rock stars portraying themselves as less than Mr. Macho. Mm -hmm. Right? So, for him to blame, like, losing fans on that video, eh, maybe he did. And I only say that because Rudolph Schenker of hey, Scorpions, yeah. yeah, we know him from Scorpions, uh, he said, quote, I liked Billy Squire very much, but then I saw him doing this video in a very terrible way. I couldn't take the music serious anymore, end quote. <laughs> so I can see how he would think, like, yeah, I'm losing um, you know, followers, listeners to that, but I don't think he could like really blame his deteriorating music career on one music music video, yeah, especially I... when you have like Mick Jagger and was it Mick Jagger and David Bowie like dancing in the street, right? <laughs> like <laughs> that whole music video is not. <laughs> you have like two super androgynous men, straight men, doing this really like silly dance in the street yeah (laughs) and everybody loved them still it wasn't um they didn't i gotta rewatch you know i just looked yeah i can like watch it after this yeah it's it's but (laughs) i mean weird music video career ending questionable questionable (laughs) because he still did he still did well um, like his, his... It just wasn't like the mega success that he had right. previously had. Right. Right. But I mean, it's not all of your, we, we see that with other bands too. Like they do really well in the beginning and then they kind of go downhill because mm-hmm. people change their music taste change, or maybe you're not writing as well, or maybe it affected him so much mentally that he wasn't writing good music anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But in 1986, he recorded, um, or he released Enough is Enough, and it was a commercial flop, even though it did have a song, Love is the Hero, featuring Freddie Mercury, his friend, mm-hmm. on backing vocals. And Mercury also co-wrote and arranged Lady with the Tenor Sax, and there was no supporting tour for this album, because he was also having issues with, like, the record label at this time, because, again, he's like... Of course finding people to blame for everything. Um, In 89, he had his sixth album called Here and Now, and it's H-E-A-R and Now, Mm. um, which only, and I say only in quotes, only sold 300,000 albums, Mm -hmm. which I guess when you're selling, like, you know, multi-platinum level records and then to only sell 300,000, yeah, that's a bit of a dip. Um... Creatures of Habit was released in 1991. This was his lowest charting album since his solo debut. And uh, in 1993, he had Tell the Truth, which allegedly only sold 37,000 copies. Yeah, which is really low. And that's that's when he basically walked away from music. Um, In 1998, he released Happy Blue, which is more of a blues 
album, and he, it was his last studio album, and he actually reworked The Stroke into a blues version called Stroke Me Blues, Mm -hmm. and I listened to it, and it's pretty good. I actually really liked it, Mm. and I think when, just in general, like, when songs are covered in different genres, I really, really like that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the crossover of it. Yeah, like, we always listen to, like, Pop Goes Punk or, yeah. uh, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, especially when they make them, like, kind of creepy, like a really, like, broken down version. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like that, too. Because mm-hmm. uh, wasn't there one from, like, Beyonce that they did that, too, and it was... Um, Pop Goes Punk? Remember. Oh, no, 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 not Pop Goes Punk. It was um, Crazy in Love. Like, somebody did a cover of Crazy in Love, I think, and it was, like, a kind of an eerie oh. one. I know. They've an, done... An eerie um, cover. Or so many people probably have done the Hey Ya mm-hmm. by Outkast, and then you oh. hear it in that, in a, like, slower and acoustic way, it's, like, oh. not such a happy song. <laughs> like, it's just, oh. like... I mean, it's not, like, awful, but it's just kind of, like, right. questioning, like, what our understanding of, like, love being forever kind of thing is, and... I don't know, but oh. you hear it as it, the song it is, and it's, like, you know, exciting, yeah, and, like, everyone's, like, into it, but, yeah. that's basically the vibe I got from this is, like, it's, you, I mean, you can clearly hear the lyrics a lot, a lot better, because it's, like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, but I, I really did like it, that it was, it was covered in this different genre, and then he was the one, so it was the original artist redoing his own work, so I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, fun facts about Billy Squire, he's got quite a few fun <laughs> facts. Um, his first public gig was at this place called the Psychedelic Supermarket, and yes. that was in 1968, and this was the same nightclub where he saw Cream with Eric Clapton hey. in 1967, so just the year before. They are and all over, all over as far as their influence on other bands. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be another really good one yeah. to to cover. Um, just Eric Clapton in general. We'll have to have like a, a multi-part series on yeah, him. Yeah, for sure. He's in the, um, yeah, yeah a, a few of them. But he, he had a huge influence, and rightly so. Um, just phenomenal talent there. But then in 1969, <laughs> I thought this was kind of funny, so I, I added it. <laughs> but in 1969, uh, on the Billy Squire website, like, he has, like, a whole timeline of his life. And I don't know if he wrote this or if somebody else did, <laughs> but it was, like, in 1969, his, like, thing of note was that he had a torrid love affair with Jim Morrison's common-law wife. isn't that so bizarre so yeah he described it as or it was described on his website as a torrid love affair with jim morrison's common law wife uh and her name was pam corson and then this is another funny thing jim and pam (laughs) (laughs) i was like oh jim the original jim and pam yeah Um, yeah pam in the office would never do that to jim oh no no. So Jim and Pam were actually in an open relationship. Oh, so okay. it wasn't, yeah, um, they weren't, so it wasn't like she was, they were just in an open relationship, but they were ultimately committed to one another. So they were like, she was, after he passed away, she was his heir to, even hmm. though they weren't married. Mm-hmm. And then sadly she died like three years after him. 
Hers was from, like, heroin. So, heroin claims another one. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, one of the, uh, like, Jim Morrison apparently hated heroin. This is kind of, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but apparently Jim Morrison hated heroin, and she, because they were in this open relationship, one of her affairs was with, like, this kingpin drug dealer guy who, like, deal, was, like, notoriously known for dealing heroin, Mm -hmm. and so he was, like, pretty upset with her about that, um, but she... She was a user, so, um, and again, that claimed her life, so, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Just a, an interesting little tidbit about Billy Squire, though. I'd never thought that he, because I never really put him and Jim Morrison in the same like time timeline. Period. Yeah. Really. Um, yeah. Yeah, but that was, it was 1969, so, um, and I believe Jim Morrison died in, like, 1971. 71, yeah. Yeah, 71, okay. Um, okay, so this is something that was really cool, actually, and this is where, uh, we were talking earlier before the podcast about Eminem for some reason, and this is where Eminem comes into it. So, the 1980 song, The Big Beat, which was his, uh, first album, it was on his debut album as a solo artist, The Big Beat is, contains one of the most sampled drum beats used in roughly 315 songs. Wow. And, yeah. So and funny. it's used by artists such as Run DMC. They used it in Here We Go. And it's like, bong, 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 Like, it's just clear as day. Alicia Keys in Girl on Fire. That's the beat they use. Oh. Yeah. Jay-Z, 99 Problems. Oh, my God. I love that song. Gosh. And so I went back and like re-listened to all of these to see if I could hear it. And it was clear in Run DMC, clear in Alicia Keys, not as clear in Jay-Z, Jay-Z. in the 99 Problems because there was a lot of other stuff going on, but it's definitely there. Um, also, Britney Spears, Oops, I Did It Again. Oh. Um, <laughs> that one was really hard for me to hear, but I also got lost in the song and I forgot what I was listening for. <laughs> Because <laughs> so, I was just starting to sing that along. would be made ninety nine problems. I <laughs> I know every single word of that song. I love that song. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, well, now you need to go back and listen. Yeah. Listen to the big beat, and then go back and listen to um, that song. And then it was also used in Eminem's Berserk. Mm. Berserk, um, which again, good. very clear. Um, and then one of the other ones was by this group called Dizzy Rascal. Have you ever heard of Dizzy Rascal? No, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so they hip-hop? used it, it yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of their like if you look up like some of their other well-known songs, they're like weird. <laughs> <laughs> weird names. So, uh, this band Dizzy Rascal, Fix Up, Look Sharp was the name of the the song and they actually sampled vocals as well. Mm-hmm. So, it wasn't just the beat, it was also his his vocals. Another interesting thing about him is that in 1985, so this is, like, right after his kind of fall from fame, he hired a helicopter from, apparently, the Prince of Nepal, and (laughs) offered 10, as one does, uh, and offered $10,000 to these two pilots if they could land him on the summit of Mount Everest, and they refused. That is such a that risky... It was too dangerous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Well, I guess he was, like, trying... 
filming something, maybe like a music video for their, uh, for MTV, something. He was like, kind of, I guess he climbs mountains. I don't know. Um, but they refused. They said it was too dangerous, but he did ascend Mount Everest in a helicopter. So he did all the way ride in a helicopter. I, I don't know. It just, it said he ascend like ascended Mount Everest. I don't think he went all the way to the top, oh, but like, it probably, you could. it's crazy. No, okay. I, you can fly around in a helicopter around the mountains though, but and mm-hmm. I guess that's what he did. Um, he just never found anyone to like land him there. <laughs> I mean, so. In 2001, he toured for the first time since 1991, supporting Don't Say No's 20th anniversary. Uh, Another fun, like, he has some really cool friends, because in 2006 to 2008, he toured with Ringo Starr and his all-star band. Oh, okay. That's (laughs) cool. Yeah. Um, He's also hailed as one of the greatest singer-songwriters in the history of rock, which I I feel like I would agree with that, because the songs that he did... And his work is really good, but those, the ones that did gain the most commercial success mm-hmm. were really, really good. Really, really good. And so I, I do want to give him props for, for that. Um, he just has questionable taste in, in music videos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so he continues to make guest appearances at like music festivals and he plays with the likes of Joe Bonamassa and so he he's kind of embracing more of the bluesy stuff, which was what his last album was mm-hmm. in 1998. And just a little note, John, Joe Bonamassa, I think I've said this before, is like one of my dad's favorite blues artists. He loves that guy. Um, and Joe Bonamassa actually has a really cool story, too. So if we ever, like, kind of break down to, like, a blues era, mm-hmm. maybe we can, or if we do, like, a special or something, we can kind of do a little bit of his, his story as well. Um. And the last thing I have on Billy Squire is that he is an active volunteer with numerous charitable organizations, including the Central Park Conservancy, um, which that's what I was at. Am I saying that right? Conservancy? I think so. Conservancy. Okay. So with the Central Park Conservancy, and he actually physically maintained 20 acres of Central Park, which I thought was really cool. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Um, And he's also involved with Little Kids Rock, which is a nonprofit that teams with musicians to provide free music instruction and instruments to public school districts across the country, which, Hmm. again, very cool. cool, Yeah. So pretty cool, dude. Um, Interesting story. A lot I did not know about Billy Squire. Yeah, for sure. And I'm... (laughs) I'm glad that we we went through it though, and because I found a lot of his his music that I knew, I just didn't know that I knew it. <laughs> and so, hopefully, listeners, you enjoyed that as well. This brings us to our one hit wonder spotlight, and this one is another one that I just heard on the radio, and I was like, woohoo! Found my <laughs> one hit wonder. <laughs> and this one is it's I I know you know this one. It's Tarzan Boy by Baltimore. Tarzan Boy. That doesn't yeah, sound it's... familiar again. <laughs> oh, 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 I mean, I didn't know that was the name oh, of that song. <laughs> that makes so much sense. <laughs> yep. Nice. Yeah, that's the the song. And that song always makes me think of Shauna <laughs> because 
like, oh God, it was like eighth grade, we'd be riding the bus to a volleyball game. And I don't, I, we must have like sang that song together or something. It's that and then uh, Push It by Salt and Peppa. Those two oh, good. always make me think of Shauna. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, this, this Tarzan boy, we must have been singing it. I just always have this memory of riding the bus with her to a volleyball game um, and, and that song being played. So yeah, it's, it's by Baltimore and Baltimore is an Italian-based group. It's uh, Maurizio Bassi, mm-hmm. Naomi Hackett, and Jimmy McShane. Those are the, the three guys. And it was released in 1985, and it stayed on the Billboard Hot 100 for six months and even oh, reached wow. number 13 in 1986. Yeah, so it's pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Mostly popular in European countries, but it did pretty well in uh, the U.S. as well. Um, again, reaching number 13. So not too shabby, Baltimore. Yeah, that is my, that's my one hit wonder. The only other thing I found about Tarzan Boy is that it's used as a, like the entry song for this wrestler uh, called Jungle Boy. <laughs> that's his, that his wrestling name is, is Jungle Boy. Yeah. And he comes out and he's got like the leopard skivvies on and it's like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> That's a good choice. Good choice for yeah. one to wonder. Thank you. Yeah, I I always enjoy that song, and it's a that's really the only part of the song I have no idea what the lyrics are, and maybe mm-hmm. I might know them if the song is playing, but I I know that the hook. <laughs> yeah, and so that that's all I got for you today. Well, thank you for listening, guys, and hope you have a good rest of your week. And until next time, rock out and ramble on. <laughs> <laughs>